0: Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, today we're going to talk about parenting, so it's kind of fitting that they're here. Having a baby like that changes everything about your life. It just radically changes. And, and the moment you have a little baby in your world, it changes until the day you die. It affects your priorities, your decisions, and what you do with your life, and, and the kind of person you become. And while you're busy, and they're going to be busy changing little child's diapers, that little child is going to be changing them. And God has designed it that way. There was a couple in our former church. They were both on our staff. They fell in love in their 30s. They, did I do something really bad here or something? <laughs> no. <laughs> he's walking out with the baby right now. I did ask permission, just so all of you know, before, so he's not offended or anything. So this couple, they're dating each other, and they're in their mid to the late 30s when they got married. And they really didn't plan on having kids, but in in her early 40s, this lady became pregnant, and she was concerned because there's there's concerns with the pregnancy at that stage of life. But um, God blessed them with the with the healthy little girl, and they had so much fun with that little girl that two years later they had another little girl. And this lady, who on our staff was known for being um, a perfectionist, of uh, being a little bit harsh with people, a little bit demanding, all of a sudden became this sweet, gentle, patient woman. Her kids had changed her. And that's what happens when kids enter our world. They begin to change who we are and how we carry out our lives. You know, I look back over my life and the the two biggest influences in my life have been marriage and parenting. They've had a profound impact over the last 28 years of my life. And we need to be reminded today of the power of parenting because we live in difficult times. Some of the problems parents face, they've been, uh, parents have been dealing with for generations. It's, it's, ever since kids have entered this world, you deal with some of the same issues. But I do think that today's culture has extra stresses because we don't have a supportive culture all the time around us. And the media hits against us and the technology and all the pressures facing families, they make it difficult. And many of us are crying out saying, God, I need help for my marriage. I need help for my family. Where can I find it? And we find it in the Scripture. We go back to this ancient book that give us, gives us wisdom. We find in the very beginning of the Bible that God brought this couple together named Adam and Eve, and uh, they loved each other, and the fruit of their love was that they had children. God told them to be fruitful and to multiply, and they succeeded very well with that, and so the earth became populated. And while they were raising their child, little did they know that God, in turn, was raising them. And that while we're busy developing our kids, teaching our kids, trying to uh, pass on the values and the character traits. God is using them to chip away at things within our own lives. There's a book out by Gary Thomas called Sacred Parenting. And in that book, he says, we live in the midst of holy teachers. Sometimes they spit up on themselves or on us. Sometimes they throw tantrums. Sometimes they cuddle us and kiss us and love us. In the good and the bad, they mold our hearts, shape our souls, and invite us to experience God in newer and deeper ways. While we are parenting them, God is perfecting us. Have you ever thought about that? When we're so focused on, what do I got to do as a parent? How do I have to help my kids grow up? God says, hey, wait a minute. While you're focused on them, I'm still looking at you, mister, you missus. And I'm using your kids to change you, to do something within you. I'm maturing, perfecting you to be the kind of woman, the kind of man that I want you to be. Now, some of you may be thinking, Pastor, that sounds good for parents, but I'm not a parent. And, you know, oftentimes we talk about marriage and family because, generally speaking, it is the flow of life for most people. They'll get married and those that get married typically have kids, but that's not always the case. Some people, after prayer and, and because of different circumstances, have chosen not to marry, and that's okay. And some have chosen not to have kids, and that's okay, too. What I really want to hit at is there are some things in this message that you need to realize God uses relationships, uses people in our lives, I think more than anything else, to mold the kind of people we need to be. And so uh, some of you may need to be encouraged today, some of you may need a, a little wake-up call to the power and responsibility of parenting. And so I'd just like to pause for a moment and ask God to speak to our hearts, maybe give peace to our hearts, and maybe stir some hearts in this place so that we can become the men and women that are truly the children of God that he desires us to be. So Father, we come before you with open hearts, open minds to hear your truth. Father, we pray that you would mold us and shape us and use our kids in our lives, use our grandkids in our lives to help us become those children that you delight in. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do today is look at four ways in which parenthood shapes us. Number one, it requires us to get serious about growing up. You know, I find a lot of young men and women who suddenly when they become parents, they decide, okay, time to grow up. Time to take education seriously. Time to get a decent job. Time to quit that bad habit. Time to quit hanging around those kinds of friends. Time to pack up the video game equipment. Pack it up. Because I've, I've got things I've got to be responsible for now. You know, I, I, I knew a young man in our church. He grew up in our youth group. And he was doing the typical high school carefree lifestyle. He had a girlfriend. And, and one day he got the news from his girlfriend. And she said, I'm pregnant. And he. He's almost 16 years of age. He hadn't planned on getting married yet, and definitely didn't plan on being a dad yet. But all of a sudden, he's confronted with the issue: you're going to be a dad, whether you want to or not. You can decide what kind of dad you want to be. You want to be a deadbeat dad? You want to be a, a check-only dad? Or you want to be a participating dad? What's it going to be? He had to wrestle with that. He decided, I want to be there for my son. In order to be there for my son, I need to be there for his mother. So he decided to go to premarital counseling with his girlfriend, and they began to talk. Do they really want to get married? And they decided, yes, they do. And they decided they wanted to make their marriage the place in which they would raise up this little boy and and help him mature. You don't find too many 16-year-old boys in your local high school who are husbands and fathers. But I'll tell you this, he grew up really fast. When I married my wife, she had a a little girl, a little old from her first marriage, and Um, I became an instant daddy when we got married, right off the bat. You know, I had envisioned in my mind that one day I'd marry a gal, we would have three or four years to travel and do all kinds of stuff together before we had kids, but no, it it was instant fatherhood. In fact, within the first year of marriage, we had a son to add to that family. Now, Just so you know, it was nine and a half months into that first year of marriage. (laughs) You know, after 27 years of, of preparation... I was pretty effective as a dad, so just want to say that. So here we have this little boy, this little girl, and we're raising them up in this home, and all of a sudden, I've got to be more responsible. I've got to be a dad. I've got to be a responsible husband. Got to grow up. Got to take things more seriously than you did before. It's interesting how children do that to us. And In the process of bringing kids into our world, they actually demand a lot of us, but it's in the taking away of us that God actually fills us. And what I mean by that is when Matt and Valentin had this little baby, Lucas, I remember Matt saying, uh, or Valentin, one of the two said, our hearts are filled with so much love right now. And I thought, really? This little creature that was inside of you, making you uncomfortable for nine plus months, this little one who now is, is causing you to lose sleep, who's making you adjust your schedules, who becomes the center of your world, everything revolves around this little child, this little child who's cost you a lot of medical bills and all this, this little child actually has filled your life with good things. He has not contributed at all economically to your household. (laughs) How has he filled you? He's taken from you time and money and energy. But you know what's amazing? Is in the process of giving out, we grow up. In the process of giving ourselves out, laying ourselves down, we actually get filled I think that's why it says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And it goes on to give the example of Jesus, who, though he was God, lowered himself, became a servant, died a gruesome death on the cross because he thought of others more than himself. But you know why he did it? Because he so loved the world. Love causes you to give up yourself, sacrifice. I mean, dad sacrificing for their kids and mom sacrificing for their kids that's a part of being a parent I look at at my mom and the things she did in particular you know the last piece of dessert gave to the kids last piece of pizza on the pan you know goes to the kids and and when when someone needs a ride mom makes sure she's gonna cart them around very rarely do you hear the parents saying you know it's my life and my priorities it's about me you know it's always about the kids it's putting the kids first and God teaches us to obey the Scripture. Think of others better than yourselves. And so parenthood teaches you to do that, to grow up to be more and more like Jesus. I think you grow up more when you're required to love, required to sacrifice. And it doesn't end with the birth of a child because those diapers get more and more expensive. And then there's little backpacks for school and there's school supplies and then there's tennis shoes and there's band instruments and there's... um, um, uniforms, and then there's uh, the car, and then college, and all through life you're spending more and more and more. These kids get so expensive, and yet you love it, right? Parents say, I, I, love, I love putting my kids there. I don't, I don't mind the sacrifices for my kids. I think that's a sign of maturity. You're growing up by giving up. The things that you used to consider important, they're not as important anymore in light of what my kids are gaining Jesus said in John 15, greater love is no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And so by laying your life down, I think that's why, uh, uh, not Jesus, but Paul says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up. Giving yourself up is one of the greatest demonstrations of love. And yet in the process of giving up, I don't know how it works, but you get filled you get filled with love. You don't get filled with love sitting in the corner and say, God, pour out your love to me. You get filled up in love as you give yourself out to other people. God blesses you because we're serious about growing up. And you know, sometimes that love can be very painful. One of the things you invite in your life with parenting is great heartache. I think many of us have experienced watching our kids hurt. And we always want to jump in there and rescue them, keep them from the physical and the emotional hurts. But there are times as a parent you have to say, I can't help you with this one. And so we watch our son or daughter get dropped from the sports team, get dumped by a boyfriend or a girlfriend, fail in a class, get rejected by a college, suffer an injury or an illness that we can't do anything about. And you stand back and as a parent you say, I want so badly to remove them from this place of pain. and But God says, let them go. Let it go because some of the greatest lessons they'll ever learn is through pain and suffering. It's through the rejection. It's through the hard work. It's through the discipline, the hardship. I mean, there are times when, when we wanted to jump in there. When our daughter lived in California, got in an accident, or son's going through a difficult college class. Sometimes you want to go to the professor and take him by the shoulders and shake them, and you got to say, I got to let this go. It's their issue. They've got to work this through. Some of you parents want to jump into a marriage situation with your kids, and and God's saying, keep your hands off of that. That's their issue. Let them work through this. Let them find me in the midst of all this. It's very painful to do that. So having kids helps us to get serious about growing up. Here's something else being a parent does. It shows us what it's like to be a child of God. As we watch our little kids, we start to get a picture of how God looks at us and how God wants us to behave as little children. One time, Jesus was standing with his disciples, and they were arguing about who was greater than who, and Jesus called this little child to come and stand before them. Now, Jesus, in calling this little child, had a perfect environment in which he could have said something like this. Little boy, all around you are some great men of God. These are my spiritual giants. This is the SEAL team for God. These are the ones that one day you will grow up and get to be like. There's Peter, and there's John, and there's Matthew. One day I hope you grow up to be like that. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus shocked him, shocked his disciples when he took that little boy and says, Disciples, you need to learn from this kid. In fact, in in the book of Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, here's what Jesus said to them. I tell you, unless you change, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're adults. What do you mean we have to change? Jesus says, Yeah, you've grown up and, and developed all these bad things in your life, and you need to re- revert back to the spirit of when you're like a child. Now, he's not talking about childishness. You know, there's a childishness that Paul says we have to outgrow. When I was a child, I thought childish ways, and, but now I've outgrown that. You know, childishness is when the world revolves around them. I won't share my toys. Everyone needs to come when I cry. You know, that's childishness. Child, we got to get rid of that. Childlikeness is the innocence, the purity, the wonder that children have. And Jesus says, I want you to have that. Another time, parents were bringing children to Jesus. And they wanted Jesus to place his hands on them and to bless them. And when the parents got near, the disciples says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus is a big guy. He's a pretty important guy. He's representing God. And these kids, well, he doesn't have time for these kids, so go on. It says they rebuked these parents, and Jesus became very upset with them. And here's what Jesus' response was to them in the book of Mark chapter 10. Truly, I, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Don't hinder them. This is what, this is, they're, they're what it's like. They're representing what it's like to be a child of God. You adults need to learn from these kids. You know, there's something about children and their relationship with God that I think we can learn from. For example, they have this, the, this ability to have unabashed praise. They're, they're not ashamed to sing and praise God. And it's a beautiful thing when your kid comes home from church on Sunday or they've spent a week at BBS and they come home and they start singing praise songs. There's a lady in our church that put a video on Facebook this week and she was so amazed that her little girl was singing the song, We Believe, that we sing here in church. She's my little girl singing that song. And it thrills our hearts to see our kids praising God. Once Jesus was in the temple, he was healing people. And in the midst of all this healing that was going on, the children started singing out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And the religious leader says, whoa, whoa, what in the world are they saying? Jesus, did you hear what they're saying? Jesus says, absolutely. They're saying who the scriptures say I am. And I love it. In fact, Jesus said to those religious leaders, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. God meant it to be this way. You need to learn to praise me like those little kids do if you want to be blessed in your worship, go hang out in the Next Gen Center some Sunday morning or some Sunday night when the children or the youth are worshiping and see the the freedom they have in worship. You know, children also have this this unfiltered prayer life. They don't posture up for prayer. You know, when a child prays, it's like they just start talking to God like he's their friend, like he's in the room listening, like, like God will really answer what they're praying You know, kids talk, they don't go into prayer mode, like shift gears and say, oh, thou in heaven that sendeth the rain and the storm. No, they just say, God, you know, will you bless this person? Will you make daddy feel better? And there's a guy in our church who's going through a very difficult marriage situation, and the mama's moved out and dad's there and when he has the kids at home he says this little 5-year-old uh, at night when she prays will will pray something like this she'll pray and ask god to bring mommy home and help them to be a family again you know, that that's just the innocence in prayer and that and the dad asked me is what should i say to her and i says, let her pray god god has a tender heart toward the prayers of our children just unfiltered prayer life. We can learn to pray to a heavenly father like our kids talk to him. And and then kids also have this unflinching trust where they just trust. And I think it's because as parents, we represent God to them. So kids don't worry about the food on the table or the clothes on their backs, the, the shelter. Kids just know mom and dad are taking care of it. I mean, we don't want our kids to worry when they go to bed at night. We don't want our kids saying, I wonder if we'll have lunch tomorrow. I wonder if the electricity is going to get shut off. You know, we don't think about that, and we don't want our kids to think about that. We take care of it. Why? Because mommy and daddy are taking care of that. That's one of our primary jobs, to make sure that you're safe and you're well-fed and all that. Well, doesn't God say that in the Scriptures? He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Why? Because your heavenly daddy knows all about it already. He says, don't worry. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. So look at the children, how they trust. You know, I love the fact that when kids are little, many of us, including probably dads in particular, we'll get in the pool, like at a hotel or in someone's backyard, we get in the pool and the kids will get to the edge, and what do we want them to do? Jump, right? It's just like, that's part of growing up. Learn to jump in the pool, overcome your fear, and so the kids are afraid to do it at first. They had this this mix of fear in their face and yet excitement, like, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. And then we coax them into doing it, and we step back far enough so it's a little bit fearful. You know, we want them to have to leap a little bit, but we're going to catch them. And you know, the kid does it, and there's this tormented delight as they're in the air, like, ah, yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, but they're having a good time doing it, and then they go do it again. And pretty soon, they, they'll, they'll start, Daddy, catch me, and they'll jump. And sometimes, even this will happen. You'll be at someone's house, and you'll be at the bottom of the staircase, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the air, your son or daughter's flying and says, Daddy, catch me! And just like this. you go, What were you thinking? I knew you'd catch me. Right? I knew you'd catch me. Because we've trained them to trust us. God just... That's the kind of faith I want you to have. You parents, you trust me that way. I'll catch you. In fact, God says, I delight in, in faith. It says, God is pleased when we trust him. And so, you know, kids sometimes don't understand why they have to brush their teeth, why they can't hang out with those friends, why I shouldn't go to that college. And, and as parents, we say, trust me. And, you know, part of it is because we've seen the big picture or we've been there before. So we want them to know, hey, I, I know where that leads. I know what that can do. I know what happens if you don't do this. And so we know all that. We've, we see the bigger picture. So we tell our kids, trust us. Well, doesn't God see the whole picture? When God says, trust me, even when you don't understand, trust me, doesn't, isn't he a kind of heavenly father that can be trusted? Yeah, we can learn from our kids what it's like to be a child of God. Here's something else that we can learn from being a parent. We can learn how to fulfill the Great Commission. Because because all of a sudden when you have kids, you get engaged in this process of making disciples. Now, Jesus, before he left this earth, gave this thing called the Great Commission. If you've never heard it before, here's what it is. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, end of that chapter, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, helping more people more often say yes to God. They they say yes to getting baptized, but then they keep saying yes to the other teachings of Scripture. And so when we hear that, we go, oh, that's great for the pastors and the missionaries and the, the Bible teachers. That's great for them, but it was meant for every believer. Every person who's in a relationship with Jesus now has the command to be fruitful and multiply in the sense of make more disciples, now, you may wonder, well, I don't know where to go to do that. Well, God says, okay, if you've got kids, start right there, right there in your own house. That's, that's your responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to disciple your kids, though the church will help you. Ultimately, parents, we're held accountable to God for discipling the children that God puts in our care. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, it reminds us, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Dads, do you hear that? Bring your kids up to know the Lord. There's a father I was reading about the other day. He, he summarized his calling as a father to this. My job as a dad is to prepare my kids to one day stand before God. It's, it's not to make them a successful businessman. It's not to, 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 to make them um, well-known or, 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 or talented. So that could be part of their growth process. Ultimately, I need to make sure that I've done my part in helping my kids be prepared to stand before God one day. And that involves this discipleship process. I have to work with my kids. I have to give them every opportunity. You know, Pastor Sam has said before, when kids go up on a retreat, it can be a life-changing experience because they have, within that retreat weekend about 40 hours of concentrated time. That's about as much time as we get in the whole year of Sunday school with kids. But parents get... That much time every single week with their kids. Every single week we have 40 hours plus with our kids to mold them, mentor them, teach them about the Lord. And you know what? I know sometimes as parents we try everything we can to get our kids to come to Jesus. And then as they grow up, they get to be teenagers or young adults. And I know some parents in this place have the heartache of saying, you know, I did all that, Pastor, and my kid doesn't go to church anymore. Or my kids are adults and they have their own kids and they won't step foot into church. I know that happens and you're not responsible for their decision, I just want to encourage you. You and I have the responsibility to do everything we can to make it possible for them, to make it compelling for them to give their lives to Christ. We can't control them, but we can influence them. We can influence them. And so we have to influence them in a positive way toward Jesus. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go. And Chuck Swindoll, famous pastor, when he study the background, the Hebrew background of that passage, says in the way he should go can also be translated according to his bent. Train up a child according to his learning style. And if you've had more than one kid, you notice that all of a sudden the second kid learns differently than the first kid. Kids just learn differently. Some are hands-on learners. Some are, are audio learners. You just tell them they'll do it. Some need to see it modeled. Some need to be hands-on. So you, different kinds of learners. Our daughter was just about six years old when she was baptized, our son, 16 years old. And you know what? That was a tough time waiting. You know, it, it was so easy with our little girl saying, you know, we're, we're a pastor, pastor's home, it's going to be easy for our kids, but then when our son didn't respond as quickly as our daughter, we thought, okay, something's wrong here, so we need to, we need to figure out a way to, to make it more and more compelling. So we thought, let's give our son experiences. Let's send him off on a mission trip, mission trip to Mexico. They're going to go down and build houses. That'll be a life-changing experience. So we convinced our son that he should go, and he wasn't real thrilled about it. And so the day before they were leaving, they're going to leave on a Monday morning. Sunday after church, we go home, have lunch. He goes, oh, I'm feeling sick. And we go, yeah, you are. Yeah, not sick enough, dude. He says, you're going tomorrow. And so bedtime, oh, I'm just feeling sick. Says, right, you know, you're not going to snow us over on this. Go get a good night's sleep. You'll wake up tomorrow morning. You'll feel fine. It's going to be a great trip. It'll be life-changing. The next morning, kind of like Matt's experience, early in the morning, my wife and I are in bed, and our son's standing by our bed saying, I'm feeling really sick. So we said, okay. He's not going to Mexico. He feels sick the whole day. We finally take him to the doctor, and the doctor tests him out and says, your son has a burst appendix. (laughs) So all of a sudden I thought, Had we had sent him to Mexico, we would not be looked at as very good parents. So we we tried not to push as hard, but we tried summer camps and and all these experiences, and still, it wasn't breaking through. But one of the things that I think really, really made a a big impact was I gathered together some other dads and said, hey, how about if we make a small group for our sons? And so for two years, at 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning, we met here at the church for breakfast, and kind of like a devotion Bible study together. And then those kids would go off to high school at seven o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, those boys are becoming friends. They're sharing this Christian experience. And the following summer, our son goes off to CIY, Christ and Youth Summer Conference, comes back, has a big grin on his face, and says, Dad, would you do me a favor? And I said, what, what do you want? He goes, would you baptize me? Um, you know, our, our kids are different. But don't give up trying to do everything you can to get them to a place where they'll make their own decision. Because it's worth it. God has put our kids in our path. And sometimes we see the scripture that says, well, the the fields are white for harvest. You know, Look around you, they're all white, they're ripe. They're they're ready to be harvested. And God says, but especially look on your own backyard. Because you've got kids right under your care. Don't ignore the ones that I put right there. You have the best opportunity to disciple your own children. Parenting helps us fulfill the Great Commission. There's one other thing parenting does that I think maybe the most um, motivating for me. It is that our, our kids are a lasting legacy. Our children are a lasting legacy. You know, as you uh, go through life and you look at what you're going to be remembered for, our children will be the thing that's remembered the most. They're the ones that will be our legacy. Sometimes people have kids for various reasons. Maybe they'll have kids because uh, they want to carry on the family name or they want, to, they want to have someone to teach the lessons they've learned or to help their kids avoid the things that they did that they regret doing. Sometimes uh, a, a guy and a gal will say, I wonder what our kids would look like if we had a baby. And, you know, sometimes kids are accidental, like, surprise! Could be early in life, could be later in life. You didn't expect that one, but the child's here, and you go, okay, I better get to get business now. But that child now will be your legacy. It's interesting when you look through the genealogies of the Bible, you'll see some some noticeable patterns, some things that are included and things that are excluded. For example, here's a genealogy from the book of Genesis in the fifth chapter. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years a long long time. And guess what happened after that? And then he died. <laughs> and then when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years. And then he died. And when Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan, and he became the father, and after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. Now, you notice some patterns here. First thing that stands out to me is, boy, they started living less and less. It went from 930 to 912, 905. You know, the lifespan's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. But, you know, it lists the number of years they lived, None of their accomplishments. Just list their kids. That's all we know about them. We don't know who was a successful businessman, who was a star on the softball team, you know who, who, who was the most talented singer. You don't know any of that. You don't know anything about their life. You just know that this person lived, lived a long time, and had some kids. And then those kids lived a long time, had some kids. And then you go to the New Testament, look at the genealogies. They don't even include how many years you lived. Look at this genealogy of Jesus Found the New Testament. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. It goes on and on and on until it gets to the end of the genealogy. You started getting names you never heard of before. Elihud the father of Eliezer. Eliezer the father of Mathan. Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. I know those guys. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. I really know him who's called the Messiah. All these no names. And we have no idea how they followed God, what they were known for. None of that. I don't even know how many years they lived. You know, there's going to come a day when, when generations from now, people will look for my name. And what they'll see is he, Darren Rondy was born here and died here. And you know, all my life's accomplishments will be symbolized by a minus sign. Little dash. That's my whole life. See, time will come when people won't even remember me as a pastor of Pikes Peak Christian Church. I'll just be a name. But what they'll remember are my kids and my grandkids, and the generations to follow them. You look at anybody's genealogy on Ancestry.com, and what you'll find is names and dates. Names and dates and names and dates and names and dates. And you will not find what their character was like, what their faith was like, anything else. You'll see the legacy of their kids. All, what I'm saying is, I think what God's trying to point out, with the greatest legacy most of us in this room will ever have are our children, who will outlive us. When Lyndon Baines Johnson, who had been president for a short term, was just two days before his death, he met with his biographer. And he said this to his biographer, I'd have been better off looking for immortality through my wife and children and their children in turn instead of seeking all that love and affection from the American people. See, some of us focus so much time trying to be success at our jobs, trying to be success on the sports team, You know, trying to get our bodies in fit so we can be eternal. And God says, are you thinking about your legacy? What you're going to leave behind? I was asking my son last night, I said, son, I spend half my week studying, writing, and preaching sermons. And I've preached hundreds of sermons since you've been at this church. I said, can you tell me a couple of your favorites? He said, dad, I hate to disappoint you, but I can't remember a sermon. I'm not surprised. I don't think my daughter could either. I hope my wife could. <laughs> but you know what? Most of the things we've said to our kids, they're going to forget. But they won't forget who we've been to them. They won't forget the character we've displayed, the faith we've shown them. That's what they're going to remember. And if that's what they're going to remember, should we be focusing on that? Shouldn't we be focusing on demonstrating that? All the sermons we give our kids... They're flying over them. They're gonna say, "But here's what I really remember. I remember that time when I was in this crisis, and you were there for me. I remember how you talked to me and the tenderness in your voice. I remember those things about you." And you know, when I look back at my family tree, I honestly cannot tell you what's beyond my grandparents. I don't know the names of the people. I've looked a little bit at some of it. I don't really know those people. I don't know any stories about most of those people. They're forgotten. They're just name. They would just be names on a genealogy to me. But I made a point in my life where I want to shake the family tree. I want to shake it. I want to change it for my kids and grandkids and their, great, their grandkids and the generations to come. I want them to look up and say, you know what? There was this crazy guy named Darren, you know, and, and he really loved God more than the average person and, and he trusted God and God did some, some, some amazing things in his life. I have journals that I write in and I, I hope my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids pull them off the shelf and start reading and go, you know what? God, God was really close to Darren. And God answered a lot of his prayers. I want my, my kids to feel, and grandkids to say, maybe we could have a relationship with God like that. See, when I was a little boy, my mom used to read us bedtime Bible stories. And one of the things she read when, when we were little was a story from, uh, it's about, the, about Enoch. And there's not much said about Enoch in the Bible, but I do remember this. I remember this from the time I was little. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was no more because God took him. And I remember as a little boy saying, I want to be like Enoch. That's so cool to walk with God, and all of a sudden you just kind of get taken to heaven, don't even have to die. That'd be awesome. Now I don't expect that to happen. But I do want to be a man who walks with God. And I want to pass that on to my heritage to generations to come. And some of you might be feeling like, Pastor, I would love that, but I don't have kids. I don't have kids. Maybe you're single, maybe you're married, but you don't have kids. But the same principle applies spiritually. I know there are men and women in this church who've invested themselves in younger men and women who meet on a regular basis to become spiritual aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers to them. It's like the Apostle Paul who called Timothy his son, his son in the faith. Your legacy will carry on through those people that you are mentoring. I know that there are young people in this church who who work over in our children's area. And there are small group leaders that meet with our teenagers And God is using you as a significant person in their lives. You're having a spiritual legacy through those people that you're passing your faith on to. So don't give up. You have a significant role in the lives of those people that you're becoming a spiritual parent to. Being a parent is a privilege. And I just believe that in the process of us focusing on developing our kids, God says, step back, look in the mirror, because I'm developing you. Watch this video, and I'll bet you as parents will identify with the fact our kids are affecting us more than we realize. What's up, brother? Yeah, man. Dude, it's a big night. Are you nervous? Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm actually pretty nervous. Um, it has been a while. sure? Yeah. Yeah, so where are you going? I'm going uh, to have some people set up, set up dinner on the back porch. Oh, nice. Yeah, she won't expect it at all. Found my eyes, stole my heart. Oh, my. oh Hi Dad and You get so cute Look okay, Are you ready to get For the For, for the date I am ready for the date <laughs> Okay I didn't lie, Big enough to see right through I just need to hear from you The sound of your breathing. The hands big enough to hold my heart. To hold back all the stars, covering skies with you in. I don't know if you've thought of that, but God is using your children to mold you. I want to ask you, what is he teaching you these days? What is God saying to you? What is God revealing to you? It might be something about your kids that makes you realize, God wants me to be like a child, like, like my little, little boy, little girl. He wants me to have that wonder and that joy and that trust. Maybe, maybe through the process of sacrificing and giving, you realize putting someone else first is good for you. It's helping you to grow up, be more like Jesus. Maybe having kids realizes that your life matters. It matters because generations to come are going to look back, and what you do will have a ripple effect on them. Even the whole process of what we're doing as a church, of helping people come to know Jesus and follow him, God says, there you go, right there in your own household. You can fulfill that. And once you fulfill it there, go beyond your house. Help other people know. Because being a spiritual parent is just like being a mom or dad. Just love someone to Jesus and help them follow his path. So I'd like you to stand now. I'm going to say a, a prayer, a blessing over all of you for parents today. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.